The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hello again everybody, thanks for coming back to the show. Uh, this week is kind of a continuation of the uh, the discussion I started at the end of On the Road Again, episode 126. Uh, that was recorded after I did the private class at the Crow's Nest in Dubuque, Iowa. Um, after a lot of these classes, we go out, we have some dinner, we have some drinks, we just kind of hang out a little bit. And after that class, uh, Woodstock Bader, uh, the owner of the Crow's Nest, took me out to uh, a bar in the area we got some really good burgers uh, and then we just kind of had a conversation it was uh, Woodstock uh, myself and and Rob Hill some people that I've been looking to get on the show for a while we just kind of sat down we didn't really have a direction in mind once we started going but I think the conversation went pretty well Uh, a couple things is sometimes when I have these conversations like I'm I'm learning from the people that I'm talking to and a couple good examples uh, in in my freehand class when I talk about needles you know I talk about uh, beveled needles and all that stuff and then I talk about uh, O needles and things like that and I've always been using the word camphor because I, I heard it somewhere I looked it up online to see like how it was actually pronounced and the the place that I went to pronounced it as camphor but uh, and then I think it was Rob in the class was like don't you mean chamfer uh, and I was like no no it can't be that so then I, I like did some more digging and apparently that is it so uh, thanks Rob because I've been mispronouncing that word for I don't know how long so uh, chamfer needles uh, would be the term for like you know O needles and biopsy punches and, and stuff like that so uh, there you go. I learned something. Um, another thing that we talked about on this episode is like your motivation and your routines and just the stuff that you have to do to, to run the shop that gets a little bit dull after a while. You know, answering messages is a big one. I've been going back and forth with my own shop about uh, like Facebook Messenger is the big one for me. I have it set on an auto reply. So anytime somebody messages uh, the Facebook page, it says, you know, thanks for messaging, you know, please call the shop or email a specific artist. But that's kind of it. We don't really like engage much. We just kind of direct them towards the other places to communicate with the shop. And I think a lot of people are just, you know, they're, they're not crazy about that because it's like, well, why didn't you just shut off Messenger in the first place and, you know, not give people that option? Uh, so that's been something I've been talking to my shop manager, my, my other piercer about, Evan. Uh, and he's going to be taking that over from... Well, from from nothing, really, from the auto-reply. So, uh, you know, that's another thing where I, I wasn't really thinking about it, and then I kind of listened to the way that Rob and Woodstock talked about their communication and realized that, like, you know, I, I am probably getting a little bit complacent with certain certain stuff in the shop, and, uh, you know, if I want to try to be a, a, a leader of my market in the area, you know, I have to keep my game sharp. So uh, a lot of this stuff really helps me uh, stay motivated. 
Another thing we talk about is uh, shadowing and, and mentoring and, uh, you know, sharing our information with other people and trying to give usable information, you know, not just kind of hitting on the highlights. You know, if somebody comes in and shadows and they're like, I want to talk about service piercings, I'm not going to just talk about the actual techniques. It's going to be like, okay, well, what's, what's your understanding of it so far? You know, what are your techniques? Like, do you understand bevel theory? Do you understand wound shaping and the jewelry dynamics and all these things? So... Uh, you want to make it an educational experience where uh, the person that leaves has a skill that they can that they can take home with them and, and apply once they get back to their shop. We talk about that. And then, uh, you know, how, how do you apply that information if you are the person shadowing? You know, like how do you actually take that information back to your shop and, and actually use it uh, usefully? And then, you know, we talk about a couple of things about jewelry. You know, you definitely can't have a conversation with uh, with people like Rob Hill or Woodstock without hitting on jewelry they have really impressive jewelry selections and you know they they do a lot of the uh curated jewelry process and custom ordering and custom projects things like that so i really wanted to talk to them about jewelry and one big thing we talk about is uh, your return on investment you know i think when some piercers see the the jewelry game on instagram you know they, they think like well okay if i'm not carrying thousand dollar clickers like i'm not I'm not part of that club. And that's not really what it's about. You know, for growing a business, return on investment is going to be uh, probably your, your focus that you want to that you want to aim towards rather than just have high ticket items and cross your fingers and hope that they sell. So it's a pretty good conversation with two really good piercers. Uh, we're going to get into that in just a minute. Uh, you know, before we do, I'm going to hit, hit my uh, seminars. I've got uh, Monday, October 28th in Fort Myers, Florida. That's going to be one of my triple threat seminars with uh, anatomy, septums, and death piercing doth piercing information so uh, i'd love to see you there if you're in the florida area or if you feel like coming down to florida uh, and then the i think the bigger one that a lot of people are, are waiting for me to do is going to be the atlanta freehand workshops uh, november 18th and 19th you can choose whichever day you want but it's going to be the same information each day and i'm going to be doing the understanding and applying freehand piercing techniques workshop where you really get to kind of sit there uh, with an actual needle in your hand we're going to be piercing inanimate objects but we're going to be talking about needle dynamics, how do you reduce drag from the actual blades of the needle, uh, how do you you know, reduce tissue trauma, make it easier to heal piercing, talking about wound shaping, talking about surface piercings, uh, talking about needle crushing and, and how that can be applied for larger needles and smaller needles and, you know, and the different advances and uh, different predictions related to that. So it's going to be a really good class. I've done that all different places uh, across the U.S. and, and outside of the U.S., uh, consistently getting good, uh, good reviews on that. So I'd love to see you uh, again November 18th and 19th in Atlanta or Monday, uh, October 20th. 8th in Fort Myers, Florida. The Florida class is a smaller class. I've only got a few spots left for that. So if you do want to grab one of those, definitely get your registration in now. You can follow Body Art Education by Ryan Willette on Facebook. You can go to precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars, or you can just kind of cut out the, the middleman with the internet and just go straight to uh, emailing me at ryanpba gmail.com and I can just get you registered. So if you have any questions or if you need any more info, just go ahead and reach out to me. But for now, Let's get into some info with uh, Rob Hill and Woodstock Bader. For me, I think honestly that is probably a. It's not my best subject. What is? <laughs> All this, because I'm the one that suffers. Why is my battery like super low? We can probably get 15 or 20 minutes out of this battery, but then my battery will die. Yeah, I'd say, uh, I'd say honestly say a different subject because sure. I don't look good in that subject. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so let's talk about motivation and such. It's like, well, I don't have any. Yeah. 
and uh, but that, and that actually is kind of a good subject. It, it is. is, but and it, then it's the it Rob Hill's human subject. Yeah, but it, it's it a very vulnerable situation that I really don't feel comfortable. Oh, yeah, but public. well, okay, but you don't you don't have to go past your comfort zone, but like we can just use that as a as a as a good starting point, sure. basically. So, uh, but also say like who you are and where you work and any social media stuff you might want people to have. So I'm um, Rob Hill. Uh, Rob Hill at Prism Body Piercing, at uh, at Prism Piercing on the Instagram. Uh, Woodstock Vader at the Crow's Nest, uh, at Crow One Six Nine for uh, Instagram. Crow One Six Nine dot com for uh, the uh, the whole interwebs. Both located in beautiful Iowa. Yeah. Uh, so for me, motivation wise, I I think I basically have to get. Almost everything has to be that, like, I either have to really be passionate and care and be interested in it, or I have to get harassed enough where I'll actually do it. I and sometimes I can have routines, like answering emails. My routine is basically, like, my life now is, uh, it revolves around my next trip coming up. Like, I've perpetually been doing trips. I haven't been home for more than a three-week period in the last year and a half. So my routine now is, like, I go on a trip. While I'm away, I'll answer high priority emails. Like if someone's like, hey, I'm having a problem, like this hurts or whatever, I'm, I'm worried. Those I'll answer right away. But if it's just like, hey, I'm wondering how much does a nipple piercing cost? You know, like those ones I'll probably wait until I get home to respond. So maybe it's like a three or four day waiting period. So do you not have a team answering basic shop questions? Do you have management play? So I've got. On my website, I basically have um, email whoever you want to talk to, and like I've got Evan listed as like Evan is he's the he's the piercer and he's he's working you know probably the majority of the time if people go into my shop and get pierced it's going to be by Evan and not by me, so I have it listed on there his email address his days his hours all that stuff but for whatever reason people still want to even though I've kind of made some obstacles for emailing me. Uh, like it's easier to email Evan than email me. People still want to have that thing where it's like, I want to email the owner, um, but it's like, eh, you know, I don't. I know, I know. It's sometimes it's shitty where like you should be getting back to someone within like I don't know, twelve or twenty-four hours and like answering sure. the question. Otherwise, they might go somewhere else. But it's also one of those things where it's like, well, you can email the shop, which can go to multiple people. You can email a specific artist. You can email a specific person and ask a specific question. Um, but for me, like, I would really prefer it if there was some sort of system in place where people just messaged me about, like, the things that I do directly. And if it was, like, a shop thing, you can call the shop during business hours. You can do all these different things to contact the shop. So Mine it's this a, weird middle ground. I have, a, I have a staff in play for that now. Yeah. So, like, if you remember Roadhouse, I'm, like, the cooler. Now. Right, okay. I only handle things that are... You're Dalton. Exactly. Yeah. You know, if, 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 if there's a one-star review that, that I'm handling, that right. if there's somebody upset, which is far few between anymore, right? Uh, that's when I come in. Yeah. But I've set up, like I literally have a manual with fucking scripts mm. how to handle pretty much almost every situation that we come across. And yeah. if we come across something new, it goes in the manual. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but for that, you got to pay well, and you have to have somebody who's super passionate about that. Right. I'm fortunate enough that I got a girl who just fucking is all about that life. I've got I've got solid counter staff, but like my my long term counter staff person just left for another another career uh, about a month ago, which was fine, freshening up in the shop. But now my counter staff is one person who is also a tattoo apprentice, oh, right. so has one of that like one foot in that world and one foot in the counter, and then I've got another one who is like I'm I'm steering towards the the piercing apprentice path. Right. Uh, but right now they're kind of like jewelry assistant kind of thing and then handling the front counter. 
So with stuff like that, it's like, well, I could dump another responsibility on them, but like Sam, the tattoo apprentice, she's already handling the social media and the, the booking and all that stuff. And it's like, in my shop, I know that it would probably be smarter if I just spent the money and just hired someone to handle those specific kind of tasks, but I don't know. To be to be like totally honest, it's one of those things where it's like my shop, I don't feel like my shop is big enough for me to make that extra investment, you know? Um, if it was like, all right, I had the extra, let's say 25 grand a year, 30 grand a year or something like that to, to put that towards somebody, great, but I don't know. I just, I put it into other stuff in, in my shop, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I do too, but I've gotten to the point now where I'm shelling out that money for that thing yeah. to remove that off of my shoulders to make sure. sure that people get contacted not in like two hours. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, it's pretty fierce. Like she's on point. Even while we were uh, at the class today, I was noticing that messages were being answered in mm. real time. You know, and I was like, fuck yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That definitely is awesome. I, I don't know. Part of me has this. I started in this industry in the 90s when it was like, we'll get back to you eventually. Right. And that's probably a negative at this point. You know, when sure. people come in, like when I train somebody on the front counter, it's like, you got to pick up the phone within two or three rings, yep. you know? Uh, it should never go to voicemail. And you got to greet somebody within 30 seconds and then Absolutely. walking through the door and all that stuff. But me as the owner, I'm, I'm probably not quite as responsive, you know? Right. What, what, what do you do with your place? As far as which part? Well, all that. Like, you know, do you have someone who's like, like when somebody sends an email to the shop asking how much is this or what's your availability like who's the person answering it so I mean we have we have it split between Jacob and myself so uh, more of the, the common questions would go toward Jacob because I have it set up that way um, I'll take care of the Facebook stuff he takes care of a lot of the email stuff through the website um, so there, there's it gets split between people people can still reach me if they need to but mm -hmm. for the most part uh, Jacob's going to handle a lot of that yeah, phones and, and all that. I mean, yeah, it's answered as soon as you can, but, you know, you've got two people in front of you, and then the phone's ringing, and it's like, how do you prioritize? Sure. You know? So it's 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 tricky. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been trying to delegate that work off a little bit, free mm. up my brain a little bit. And that's important if you want to accomplish and smash goals. Yeah. So right. to delegate some of the things that... You have to alleviate that pressure off of you. You really do. Um, I feel like my shop that. has definitely plateaued at this point. I feel like me personally, my personal Ryan career, you know, I have a career arc where I'm kind of moving into more of a space as like an instructor kind of a thing, you know, rather than a full-time piercer. Uh, and like my shop, it's good. And I almost feel like, you know, if I try to push my shop, I'm going to push it out of my comfort zone. And it's, I, I never want to have like a mega shop. I never want to have multiple shops, any of that stuff. So I'm, I'm really comfortable where I'm at. And I, sometimes I worry if, like, if I grow the shop anymore, it's going to get to a point where it's just, I won't be able to manage it. Even if I hi hire other people and do that, and you know, I'm still a little bit of a micromanager when it, when it comes to it. And I am too, but it's just like anything, you have to have policies in play. Right. You know what I mean? So I have policies for my counter staff. The delegation that I do, there's policies there. And they handle all that for me so that I can continue to push the shop and continue to make Which it grow. Which is very smart. Because uh, I do want to own multiple shops. I don't want to be here any forever. Yeah. You know, the, the goal was always to make this self-sufficient so I can go back out east and open up another shop out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's tough. You know, uh, if I look back when I was a kid and, you know, said, in the future, you're going to have a shop where you have 
five tattooers and three counter staff and multiple piercers and you're going to do this and you're going to do that, I'd be like, yeah, no way, no, no way, because that, that was never my, my goal or my dream, you know? And So it kind of just happened on its own? I mean, it, it grew or it grew organically, and I'd say it grew as more of like a family kind of thing. Like as much as my tattooers hate my guts sometimes, and as much as like I'm pulling my hair out and getting super frustrated by them, like I look at them as like my brothers, my family kind of a thing. So it's like you know, I had the one who was like a super close friend of mine. He came on, and then we got another, and then we got another. It's like the people that pick up stray dogs or something like that, and then it's like you know, you love it. Yeah. So I've got my tattooers, and like they're all long-term people. Like you know, once I get them, I I do what I can to hang on to them. Right. You know, and for better or worse, I hang on to those people year after year. I'm get frustrating, they they get frustrated, you know, and the right people come along, and they they just kind of like work their way into the formula. But I never really stop and think like. I want to add someone on, I want to grow, I want to do this. It's just kind of, I'm going along with the flow, basically, yeah. you know, and now I'm at a point where I pushed and, like, I, I made this building and I did all these different things and it's like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know if I have a fourth shop in me, you know, another expansion or a whole other shop in a different town where it's like, now I have to, like, split staff or yeah. stuff like that. That that just stresses me out. That was, that was never what I wanted to do. I guess... In all actuality, it wasn't what I wanted to do either, but since this is not where I want to retire out to, I guess that's an inevitable goal, because I just don't want to be here for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, and the staff knows that, and they know that what I'm building for so that I can manage about for my cell phone. You yeah. Know what I mean, at any time right. I can click and look at cameras, check numbers, you know, yeah. it's pretty simple that way. Yeah. I've got the capability of doing that stuff, and I don't know if it's really a trust issue or, or whatever it is, because there's the... There's the entrepreneur side of me that's constantly looking at the angles and being like, where can I where can I have more income and what can I do to invest that for my future or whatever? But at the same time, now I'm looking as like, what can I do where I only have to rely on myself? And it's not because I don't trust other people, it's just because I don't want the headache of like, well, what if I lose that person? Right. You know, like what if I they decide it. that like they want to go off and open their own shop or do whatever, and then right. then I have to take on that burden back onto my shoulders. And that's a very valid uh, feeling, especially in our industry. Sure. Um, yeah. It's tough. It is. You know? It is. I, sure. I like where I'm at. You know, and if I had, for me again, I, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't really have a lot of like pressure financially. You know, like I I do fine. Uh, so that kind of changes my perspective. I. You know, two or three years ago, I, I wouldn't have wanted to be a professional instructor, you know, and I just kind of stumbled into it and uh, took took the skills that I learned being like an APP instructor and just kind of applied them for like, you know, personal classes. And now I, I love it. I super love it, you know, and I want to bring education to as many pierces as I can. And I, you know, I want get to get around to as many places because whenever I do it, as difficult as it is, as tired as I get, uh, the sacrifices that I make at home, you know, like I don't, I don't have a partner, and it's like, how, how could I? Like, how could I even date someone if I'm like a only home for like ten days a month, you know, sure. stuff like that. Um, but I, I still, I still love what I'm doing, you know. And maybe they'll get to a point where it's like, now nah, I just, I just want to be home for the next year, and then maybe that'll change it up. But I don't know. It's just a, it's a weird life, and I'm just kind of rolling along with it right now. I like what you said earlier, where you, you said once you have this knowledge, as far as a piercer, that you kind of feel obligated to give the people that knowledge. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, yeah. it's very true. Um, it's admirable that you're doing it. it. Makes me think that like 
maybe I should be a little bit more understanding about giving my information out, but I, I'm still in that secret phase, right. you know, where you want to hold on to everything that you got and don't want to necessarily help out your competition and show them uh, the way of doing things. You know? Well, to be fair, uh, to be fair. I, don't, I don't do seminars in New England for that exact reason. Right. Like, I don't want to... It's not so much training the competition because if there are shops in the area, I don't really look at it necessarily as competition. You know, the APP members that are around me, they might be a half an hour or an hour away. Like, I'm happy to share information with them, have them shadow or whatever. It's mostly, it's like, I know that there are piercers that are unsafe and no matter what information you give them, they're still going to be unsafe. Right. I don't want them having a certificate on their wall that says, I learned it from Ryan. Right, I got you. know, you. like that stuff, that like, sense. bugs the shit out of me. Um... So, you know, there's, there's a certain angle to it. I, I feel like it's almost like, uh, you know, people should be coming to New England to teach classes, and, like, I would, I would attend their classes, you know, and stuff like that. But we're going to get to a point where all those free agents that are out there, all those people that are shadowing and, and guest spotting and all that stuff, they're eventually going to get snatched up. They're going to find their forever home or whatever. And then what's that going to leave on the market? That's going to leave a bunch of people that don't have a bunch of institutional knowledge. True. So it's anybody that's like more than 10 years in, like you, you should be mentoring people, whether it's for profit or for fun or, you know, for apprenticeship or whatever it is. Like we really have to do it because we can, I'm sure you can think of someone that really helped you and mentored you at some point. You can think of someone I can, I can for sure think of someone. And if they hadn't done that, like, where would I be? You know, sure. maybe I still would have gotten where I wanted to be, but it could have taken years longer. But now like, not as many people are doing that. Maybe there are these shadowing opportunities where it's like, one day I'll talk to you and I'll share information, but then the next day, not that's so much, it. Right. We're not gonna be chatting anymore, right. you know? Like, people need to like share this information to make a stronger industry, and with a stronger industry, we'll all make more money. Right, and not to mention like, you're actually helping humans. Like, right. At the end of the day, that means that that's more humans that are getting a good experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, sitting right next to me, Rob Hill here, is my catalyst. I, I think I've told you that in the past. Um, if it wasn't for Rob, I don't know where I would have been as far as my path. Yeah. Like, he helped me clearly see something that I was completely missing and led me down my own rabbit holes. Uh, and I'll be ever, forever grateful for that. You know what I mean? So if he didn't do that, take his time to teach, right. I wouldn't be here. I just not wouldn't every, be. Not everybody's as open to criticism you know I mean as you are you know it's, it's I've had people come to me and say oh I want you to teach me how to do custom ear projects and all this complicated stuff and it's like okay I mean yeah I can give you some some pointers some tips some avenues some you know direction uh, and then you're, you're talking to them and they, they don't even know how to wash their hands they don't know how to put on gloves they don't know kind of the most fundamental ideas and uh, for me it's like well let's talk about the things that you need to learn rather than things you want to learn. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and that's a, that's a hard battle because I see that being able to uh, just pick up on the, the nuances and subtleties and pick up the things that they don't even realize that they're doing wrong. Yeah. Uh, and then it's hard to, to incorporate that into a, uh, yeah, let's talk about something advanced, but let me sneak in some super uh, basic stuff that you need to work on. Uh, and sometimes you got to be really blunt with people, mm -hmm. which sucks. A big thing about shadowing is when people started shadowing in my shop, it was really just like, okay, you're a shadow. You're going to watch me work, and then if you have questions after, that's fine. But now what I try to do is I, I think it's more valuable to do almost like a like a narrated shadowing where, like, I'm just I'm explaining what I'm doing while I'm doing it. So, that like, you know, if they're not thinking about that stuff, if they're thinking, like, you know, why would I want to ask a question about skin prep or 
washing hands or whatever. It's like I'm I'm saying it all out loud. So if it's not something that they already know or they're thinking about, they're they're getting that value. It's like, all right, now I'm gonna have you come and watch me load the statum, and I'm I'm using this and this way because of this, and I'm doing this, and this is what I'm doing for management and logistics and. This is the maintenance that we're doing on the autoclaves, and here, check out this logbook. This is the way we're filling out the logbook, and blah, 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 When blah. you do that kind of stuff, do you ever say things like, you know, well, this is particularly the way that I've come accustomed to doing these things, but you should really think these... Like, one of the things that Rob brings to the table and always has brought to the table is the uh, ability to start critically thinking about things. Right. Rather than just regurgitating what the other body peers say. Oh, this is how I use my statum. Oh, that must be how you use the statum. Mm. This is how I use the statum from now on. That's right. it. Like, how do you broach the subject of, like... This is how I do it, but you should probably do your own research to figure out whether or not you think that this is right or wrong. You know what I mean? Well, the biggest thing for me is uh, when it comes to something like a statum, a lot of piercers think that it's like, that's what you have to have. You know, so I'll tell people sometimes it's like, well, a statum might not be to your advantage. If you're right. in a super high volume shop, prepackaged is probably going to be better for you. Or, sure. you know, hey, like, did you know that there are different kinds of statums and this and that? And it's like, well, okay, what's your volume now? Where would you like to be in two years and three years? And it's like, okay, well, maybe this isn't the right thing for you. And, you know, let me show you. And if people are just asking about statums. They'll be like, that's cool. But realize that, like, we also have a front loader that we're doing for our bulk sterilization for prep packs. And then this is why and, and really explaining it. But, like, critical thinking is, is getting to be, like, a lost art form with this. Because, like you said, people are just regurgitating it. They're reading something in an article or a video or they're going to a Facebook forum or something like that Conference and class or whatever it may so be. many times people are just like well I don't know why I do this I just do it because this other person did it and I thought that that's the way you had to do it so like I like to explain why I'm doing it but then I also like to say this is what I did five years ago and then five years before that and five years before that that's and then neat. that's why it was working for me at the time but not now and I had to move on to this thing you know so what do you think would work for you that's neat uh, I've had a few guests in and I've it's one of those things they'll come in and then it's just like, well, yeah, just shadow and you know, spend the day and then ask questions. And, you know, after reviewing the day, you look back in there. They ask, they ask specific questions about specific things. Uh, you know, you try to help them out in the best way that you can. Um, but then during those conversations is when I pick up those, those small little bits that I definitely know they don't know. Right. You know? Well, you're uh, kind of like reading between their questions. Right. Like you're asking a question because it's like it's the cool information, but it's like, but do you know the foundation that goes behind it? Right. Like, you know, oh, uh, you know, how do I do this freehand technique? Well, like, you know, do you understand bevel theory? You know, right. stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. And that that's what I've, I've linked toward now. It's like, well, we're not going to set up a whole day of shadow. We're going to set up a couple hours. Mm. So I can actually talk to you, you know, because during a whole day, it's like you get busy during day stuff or I spend the entire day working with somebody uh, which is just not a good use of my time to be honest uh, so it's like well let's focus in on you for a couple hours what is it that you're looking to do mm. you know what I mean like what is your like number one and number two things let's focus on that and then let's start kind of at the beginning so it's yeah. like oh you want to learn how to do you know piercings you know doing freehand techniques it's like good so let's talk with that bevel, bevel theory as well uh, let's start with that and, and evolve from there mm. but before we do that how are you washing your hands you know, and we start with those other kind of basic things. And it's like, okay, well, let me try to just work on one thing, mm -hmm. and it'll involve a whole lot more into it. Right. Um, that way they can walk out with a piece, a little nugget of information that they understand more completely, more thoroughly, rather than just getting the peaks of the information that they're yeah. seeking. Yeah. Get the nutrition, not just the empty calories. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think that while you may come to a guest spot, you may learn less things you're going to learn one thing more thoroughly. Right. Or experience one thing more thoroughly. It's like, you want to talk about 
how we clean our jewelry prior to piercing, it's like, well, that's a whole two hours right there. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll go in depth on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can tell sometimes when people come into shadow or when people send you a message online where they're just like, yeah, I just, you know, uh, I, I want to get this like sexy piece of information. And it's like, that's cool. But I also want you to get these other things because like the reason that I, I might be decent at that thing is because I have this foundational information, you know, uh, like if you're asking questions about, you know, what statum should I get for my shop? Just be like, well, you know, you got to understand the maintenance that goes with it too. And you got to understand all these different aspects of like what you can and can't run in a statum and all these different things. And not to bring it back to statums, but like, that's a question that I get pretty frequently. With their projects, I, I get that question, which is, you know, how do we do all, you know, how do I take this, this jewelry and make this custom piece for this mm. custom ear? It's like, well, I come from a jewelry background. I come from manufacturing jewelry and creating projects from diagrams and visualizing and measuring and polishing and like all these things. That's what I did before. Mm. And then I learned the piercing side of it. So there's a lot of background that goes into creating that ear project. Uh, a lot of piercers were starting with piercing and like, well, how do I incorporate the jewelry? And it's like, well, there's a whole world of jewelry out there that yeah. you got to understand the, the limitations. Mm-hmm. You yeah. also, you draw for your, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, but on your ear projects, you draw from a, an artistic background too, though, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, pull from, from fundamentals of art, you know, principles of design, that kind of idea. Because I know there's a lot of your thought patterns and a lot of things that you've created that are literally, like, you could tell. That there's some kind of, of I mean to me it's it's no-brainer stuff but that's just I guess the way I learn stuff right. but it's just like hey we're gonna do a project and the customer loves purple well let's use yellow to accent it why because right. it's a complementary color mm-hmm. duh you know for other people that might be like holy shit I never realized that right um, for me that's just normal and it's like well let's balance this out we're putting something heavy there let's put something over here we have a texture here let's balance out that texture throughout the project Again, that's just kind of no-brainer stuff for me, and that's how I think. But um, it's it's pretty evident when you you know look on Instagram and you see check out this cool ear project I did, and they have five ideas going on that really don't work with each other. Mm. I, I had a client come in, and I, I had pierced them over and over and over again. They dropped a lot of money in the shop, and then they said, "Hey, I, you know, I heard about this contest, Earmageddon or whatever. Uh, I would really love to have you do a project for me sometime." And I, I tried really hard. To just think of anything and then I, I I had to turn turn the money down basically and just be like look I'm not the Earmageddon guy you know like I, that's not how I work like there have been some times where I've, I've pulled off a couple of technical artistic neat things but it's like it's that's not that's not my thing you know and I, I was like I I could do it but I don't want to be one of those entries where people groan and they're just like oh yeah you know like what were you trying to do like I can't force it. You know, people like you, people like Luis, you know, you have the eye for it. You have the, the, the natural incl- inclination towards it, but uh, I don't have that. I think what, I mean, I, a lot of people have different strengths. And I think what well what rounds out ear projects is, I mean, you have the, 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 the technical piercing side of it, because A, it has to look good, B, it has to heal. You know, if it doesn't heal, you know, why did you do it? Uh, but I mean, there's the art side of it, there's the jewelry side of it. Um, but I think the part that a lot of people don't think about is the practical side of it, mm-hmm. which is... Can they live with it? Can you wear this every day? You know, and, and there was many projects that I saw that, you know, lived for a week and mm-hmm. failed. Right. Uh, you know, and it's... Many of the projects I've done, many are still alive today. Some have been removed, but the piercings are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people just, you know, after six years of wearing the same project, they kind of want to change. Right. So... 
while some of them have worked very well, um, some of them have been surprising and some of them haven't worked. Mm. You know, and I've seen my own projects suffer. Um, hard to point the finger in what direction, you know, is it my fault, jewelry fault, yeah. you know, customer fault? But you take you, somebody it. like you takes that as a learning experience. You know, Absolutely. sometimes people they're just like cram it in there, force it, and then like you know if it doesn't work out, oh, it was the client's fault. You know, and they don't really think about like what are the things that I can do to improve it for the next time. There was one project that I saw uh, another, another piercer post up uh, mentioning no names, uh, and it was a uh, vertical industrial, vertical helix, uh, and then it curved into the conch, um, and they uh, they left room on top of the helix there, and. Uh, I asked them about this and said, well, you left a bunch of room there on top of the helix and it goes straight down and almost makes a 90 degree into that mm, conch. Wouldn't just sink and Yeah, and I'm thinking, well, A, up. why'd you do that? Well, yeah. for swelling. I'm like, well, it's going to sink and rotate in. Right. Gravity's going to take over. Mm. So on a project like that, it's like you have to think, how does the gravity work? How does the practical wear work? And what's going to happen? And if I did that, yeah, I'd rest that ball right up on that piercing. Mm. Yeah, it's going to swell, but... But it, it can swell. It can swell the other direction. Slack underneath it. Yeah, you give the Yeah, it's just it's it's having that foresight to be like, okay, we can do this. It makes sense. That follows all the rules that we create for piercing. Mm. But we also have to have that daily wear, which is part of the critical thinking again. Right. Not necessarily. I mean, I know that sometimes experience can help you out there. And there's some more coming, by the way. Um, but I'm sure with you, just knowing how uh, my limited experience with you, that you do a lot of forethought. It takes a long time to come up for me with a project and execute it. Uh, the one project I did on um, Janessa. Yeah. When we did her year project, I mean, that was six months in the making. Right. You know, I mean, it just with that idea and constantly working on it, tweaking it, wearing part of it, you know, and finally getting it to the point where it's like we have the whole thing completed. Mm. You know, have to make custom jewelry, send it off, get it welded, do this. I mean, there's a whole. Yeah, six months and consultation after consultation after consultation. And yeah. Yelling and screaming and throwing jewelry across the room and like that is part of it and it's a love hate relationship. And when I get, I know I'm doing a good project when I get upset with it. Mm -hmm. You know, because you have to. Because you're try challenging and, yourself. Yeah, you're challenging and you have to come through that on the other side. Um, but yeah, but that was, you know, that first year in Mageddon we did mm -hmm. this incredibly technical, elaborate project um, and it's beautiful and it's. I look at it now and I still say, Jesus, you know, like, don't ever do that. You yeah. know, that, that's a, <laughs> how did that work? I don't know, but it did. We, we, you know, we had some magic fingers that day. Um, but straight over the year afterward, you look at the other uh, applications and I went the opposite direction. I went with much more simple individual piercings, not so complex, not so elaborate, mm -hmm. um, and kept it way more practical, um, which I think was the right play. Yeah. I mean, and that was part of the Armageddon whole idea that the first year was just balls to the wall. And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, people are looking at this, you know, and we want to we want to make sure we have uh, we want to make sure we have the right message being sent out as well. That this project is uh, this is a good thing that you should do. You know, after doing an elaborate project, there's all the, uh, you know, like the um, the trident stuff. Yeah. You know, it's like, that was a great idea in 2002 on a napkin. Mm -hmm. We made it happen. And then all of a sudden it got popular. And yeah, I wonder how many shops around the world have had people bring in Instagram or Pinterest pictures of that specifically and just been like, can you do this? And I, I've gotten that plenty of times and I've been like, no, I, I can't do that. Yeah, we had that tried at least four or five times. People show up with a picture and say, can you do this? I'm like, nope, but I know the guy can. And right. he's just three hours away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can give you his contact info. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm not about to play that. Was a, 
that was a fun little project. We did it. We healed it. It was great. But uh, yeah, then now, yeah, you look at Google now and type up that piercing and there's some pretty uh, interesting oh, yeah. renditions of it. Oh, yeah. I've that, seen them uh, local, too. Uh, but, you know, yeah, like, like what Stock was saying, you know, critical thinking is it's rare in this industry. You know, and a lot of times when, I, when I'm doing classes and people bring up common issues, it's like, well, I don't really want to talk about just like fixing that common issue in an aftercare sense. I want to think about it as like, well, what can you do to prevent that next time? Like, what, what was it that caused it? Like, try to, try to step back a little bit. And look at a problem you might have if it's scarring or if it's like a bump on a piercing or something like that. Like, what's causing it? You know, like, it's a real frustration of mine when people post uh, in different forums online and they're like, I'm having this problem. Here's a picture. What do I do? And then you have like 20 well-intentioned piercers that are all just like throwing a random thing at it and right. just being like, well, I don't know. What, what did you prep the skin with? And it's like, really? <laughs> you think that that's what caused the bump? Right, you know, right. and it's like... Uh, all these different things that they're bringing up. It was PCMX. That was the problem. Right, you know, uh, but thanks. Uh, but they're not really thinking about, like, you know, what actually caused it, what would eliminate it. You know, is it a jewelry change or is it just like, you know, you shouldn't have done that piercing? Is it a blown angle, you know, or is it something that you actually can resolve or is it just like time to pull the piercing, you know? Goes back to what you were saying today in class, though, as far as like what makes a good piercer is the one who cares. Mm -hmm. Uh, what originally led me down the rabbit hole of trying to find some kind of discovery was how many people were coming back. Mm -hmm. I have this issue, I have this issue, I have this issue. I have no idea what's causing that issue. Yeah. I literally don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> Which is awesome when they stop coming back, but then yeah. at the same time you're like, why is nobody coming back? Right. What else did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, well, a, a quick conversation came up with uh, you know one of the guys from Mint where they were saying, well, you know... I'm having this little bit of an issue on, on earlobe, and I immediately knew what it was. And I was like, oh, are you doing a freehand, or are the backs always higher than the fronts? And it's like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because I had the same frustration where it was one of those things where I had to really break it down and be like, why is the same issue happening on the same piercing over and over and over again? And I think some piercers might just look at it and just be like, well, I don't know. That just happens. And like, put a silicone, do that. Put a silicone disc on it and yeah. try to squeeze it back straight. And it's like, well, why don't you just think about what's causing, causing it and yeah. eliminate what's causing it, you know? And you work it out, you know? Work it out mechanically. Work it out just like with physics or angles or whatever you're doing and, and like try to figure out like the fundamental issues of what caused it. Not a lot of piercers do that. They just look for someone else to give them the answer as to like, hey, what's the quick fix? Yeah. Instead of thinking like, you know, how can I how can I solve this on like a, a base level? I mean, I was just as guilty as that. I, when I started running into the problems, and actually, uh, I think it was after the first time that I went to prison, I stopped doing all piercings for two months solid. <laughs> and sorry, did, no, it's okay. <laughs> but for two months, I just didn't touch anybody. I, I talked to the boss at the time, and I was like, listen. We're doing everything wrong. We mm -hmm. really, really are. And I need to, I, if you could give me a couple months, I'm just going to go out to the world. And I started shadowing other people to just figure out. I went to Rob's shop one time and he was like, what do you, what do you want to know? Yeah. And I'm like, bro, I don't even know. Yeah. Like, I'm just here to just observe and see if there's anything in it. And I would come up with random questions. But I remember what I perceived as Rob being frustrated, being like, why are you here? And I would literally never have an answer for him. I'd yeah. be like, dude, I, every time I talk to you, I learned something that I didn't know that I needed to learn, yeah. so that's kind of why I'm here. I'm mm -hmm. trying to find the other things that I don't even know, you know. Yeah. I didn't know that I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I was just regurgitating things I learned on the learning forum. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's 
that's at least a good place to start is once you can start uh, looking at the available information out there and start discerning like you know what what sounds like the good information and the bad information and like not not to I don't really like to make like a us versus them like good piercers bad piercers kind of thing but um, the voices that you know you should be listening to the right. people with the information that you feel like you can trust you know the Jeff Saunders of the world like those those types you know and then you can kind of you can use that as a base point and be like you know what are what are these piercers that I can trust talking about do I understand what they're talking about? Do I not understand? And if I don't understand something, like what can I do to understand those conversations? Like, what information do I need to have? What skills do I need to build? What do I need to practice so I can? Re or what do I need to research right. to understand these issues and these topics? Like when peer when when piercers that are out there, if they're taught something simplistically as like you know, you grab it, you push a needle through, you put in jewelry, and you charge them, you know, and then once they start to build up like the well. What kind of needle, what kind of jewelry, what kind of angle, what kind of placement, what kind of this and that. Once you start to get that and you can start to really break it down, it's, it's like a whole different page of your career. Uh, it's like the different spaces of it is like the, I don't know what I don't know. And then the next phase is, I know what I don't know. I'm going to learn it. And then the next phase after that is like, now I know it. And now, now I can experience it. Now I can experience it. Now I can refine it. You know, like those are definite chapters in a career. And I've, I've had those chapters. Fun, fun story about the Woodstock here. <laughs> there was that day, you know, we were talking about jewelry, and he's like, I'm going to order every prong set in every color in every size. <laughs> then I'm going to do the bezels in every prong, you know, in every color comedy. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, no, 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 no. Bad idea. Bad idea. Don't put all your investment here. And it's like, no, we're going to have all the options. Yeah. I'm like, this is the okay. Way that, the way that mistake. you put it was, uh, he, he said, uh, when you go to buy a suit, when you go to a suit shop, how many color suits are there? It's fucking black and there's a couple gray, and that's yeah. that. Yeah. Because that's the most predominant selling thing. Mm -hmm. He's like, you're about to spend so much money and have very little return because you're catering to, you're trying to cater to like everybody, but not everybody wants fucking. And he, he's right. I've narrowed it down from every color to six. Right. right. It was and then fast forward two years later, and he's like, closeout sale on all my uh, <laughs> all my jewelry. <laughs> yeah. I have yellow, orange, and brown, and all these colors. Do you know why I feel that in my soul? Because that's literally exactly what I did when I won that Anatometal Grand Prize. My first order was like, give me everything. everything. Give me one of everything. You know? <laughs> Thinking like, you know, obviously if I have it, like, you know, if you build it they will come. People will flock to me because they want that, like, citrine princess cut what and, and then same thing like a year later i was like on a forum and i was like who wants to buy a whole bunch of jewelry that i'm never going to sell you know uh and it was that that same thing it's like return on investment is definitely one of those you don't know what you don't know kind of moments when people just start to break into expanding quality jewelry a lot of them think i need to have everything but it's like exactly what you said you need to have what you can sell when people come to me with that issue i just say like just think realistically what you can sell in six months. If you don't think you can sell something within six months, why are you buying it in the first place? Wait and do a custom order if somebody asks for a wacky color or And size. I guess it also slightly depends on how much money people have, too. And sure. Like what, what kind of return they're trying to get. Because sure. I definitely have a lot of shit that I've literally chalked up to, like, museum quality. Like, that's going to be here for fucking ever, yep. and I don't care. I've spent the money. It's there. It looks beautiful. People are interested in the case and everything, but... By all means, if you're looking for a return on investment, you want to go with what you know is popular right. in your area rather right. than everything. What we've done to to cater to everybody uh, is we carry our, our, our top five colors, you know, in our prong set. 
faceted gems, uh, all synthetics. Um, but when someone's like, hey, you know, I want yellow. And it's like, well, yeah, we have yellow sapphire. Mm-hmm. We have amethyst in purple. And we have ruby. And we have savorite. And some of these more obscure colors. Um, and we carry one of them. And I sell two rubies a year. You know what I mean? At $160 mm-hmm. a pop versus carrying $300 worth of, you know, synthetic gems that I'm going to sit on for the next, yeah. you know, five years. So I order two rubies a year. Once one sells, then eight, I order another one. Mm-hmm. And it comes in, it sits around for two months, and it's gone. Yeah. And uh, for me, that's a great turnaround on, on red. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just the same thing. I'm okay with being out of yellow. You know what I mean? Or yeah. orange. I'm yeah. okay with being out of it for a couple months. Um, I had a mentality some- with... with with my neo metal, you know, I was like, I'm gonna have everything, and I, I almost took that as like a point of pride for a while. So, Somebody would be like, you know, oh, you know, what do you carry from neo metal? I'd be like, everything. all of it, yeah, <laughs> all, all of the neo metal, you know. But now, uh, when you know, over the last couple of years, when a lot of shops are really putting their emphasis on precious metals and genuine gemstones and all that stuff, now I look at my neo metal and it's like, I almost don't want it there not to like dupe people into buying expensive things or something like that but it's like i i don't order you know peridot i don't order orange gemstones i don't order any of that stuff anymore i've still got some in the case and it's like that's a testament to how unpopular they are it's like it's like for anything else if you if you ordered anything in clear and then you don't restock it it's going to be just an empty spot in your display really really quick absolutely but if you have something that's just been sitting there for so long and it's like maybe you sell out of like the two millimeter prong version but everything else is going to be sitting there for years and years and years and years and years and it's just an eyesore at that point well carry what you want to sell yeah that's kind of at the end of the day it's like do you want to sell just titanium CZs and, and fancy colors or do you want to sell you know gold with rubies mm-hmm. so I carry a gold with ruby and a gold with this and a gold with that then carry the rest you know if they don't want to get a diamond they're going to get a CZ mm-hmm. so I carry that in titanium right not yeah. having some of those colors is actually insanely helped our custom orders mm-hmm. and I'm like hey you like yellow let me show you the vast selection of genuine gemstones I can get in yellow right. but I will not order them in synthetic right. it's just not worth the money man yeah yeah. thanks uh, Rob hey you're welcome it, it definitely is a good strategy you know and if there are any piercers like listening to something like this uh, if they're if they're feeling that that tipping point where they're ready to get into the fancy jewelry it's like I, I did a conversation with uh, with Brianna, and it was like she she just kept mentioning vaguely like you know oh yeah our most popular colors and oh yeah our most popular colors and I'm like let me try to guess what they are and I was like uh, white CZ mint green Arctic blue uh, white opal and, and, yeah well pink pink for me is not going to be up there you know I'd say Arse black is huge. probably more than pink for me it's a big one in this town yeah. Yeah, but it was just like for purple. really, really common, you know? And like, yeah, if you want to kind of branch off a little bit and try this and try that, it's fine. But it's like that going that whole route of like, I'm just going to have everything and see what sticks, see what sells. It's like, that's, that's yeah, don't don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. Can we talk about these new ABs in titanium? I haven't seen them yet. I don't have them, but I've back seen pictures of them. Yeah. Four mil ABs from, from Neil Metal? Jeez. Yeah. Kids, lobes, all day. Really? Yeah. All day. Nice. Yeah. It's like, oh, you want the sparkly ones? They're like, yeah, those rainbow sparkly ones. Mm. And it's like, okay, nice. so now we're carrying more than that than the RCZ. I almost got, I didn't get soured necessarily by, by Neo Metal expanding their colors, but I just got to the point where I was just like, 
enough is enough. Yeah. I'm not I'm not changing my displays again so I can accommodate a new row or whatever. I think the last thing that I expanded was ocean gray. I don't think I've gotten any new colors in since then. I think that like ocean gray is like a trend, you know, it'll be good and awesome for a little bit, but then it goes out. Oh, nobody wanted it. I bought no. it. Nobody no. nobody bought it. I, I mean, I think I sold a couple for the first like two weeks, the regulars that would come in and be like, oh, you have a new color. Oh, that's cool. Um, but nobody really went for it, you know. Uh, ABs, I, de I could definitely see some some mass appeal for that, you know, because people people love white opals. People snatch up white opals in any style that I that I carry it in. If I if I'm ever gonna try out a new end piece from like Body Vision or something like that, like I'm not gonna shoot for the moon and be like, oh, okay, I'm gonna try some like you know copper veined purple turquoise or Oregon sunstone or whatever. It's just gonna be like Oregon white opal, killer. white opal or white diamond. It is it is amazing. But it, like I had to like dip my toes in it yeah, before, yeah. you know. If it's if I'm gonna try something new, or if I'm gonna roll the dice on a piece that looks kind of on the pricier side or something like that, white diamond or white opal, sure. that's where I'm gonna start. Yeah, yeah, smart. Yeah, that's smart. And like I, I feel like I want to make it clear, like we're talking about organic sales, right? Not being a high pressure salesman. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you have some shit laying around, you're gonna find that perfect person. You're like, oh, that's freaking. Put sure. For your skin Sometimes you have those pieces where they sit in the case for years, and it's like you couldn't give it away. And then somebody walks in the door, and they're like, "I love that piece. Yeah. I need that." And it's like, "Awesome! Please take, it. <laughs> please take." Yeah. We've, got, we've got one piece that uh, uh, that Jacob wanted to get in. He's like, "This is just the best combination in the world. It's going to look great, and it does look great." Uh, except it doesn't appeal to the mass audience. It appeals mm -hmm. to one person, right? And that person's going to love the hell out of it, right? But it's a uh, black rhodium with ice blue diamonds and then alexandrite in the center oh, you no. know and it's like this amazing combination but it's like oh man that's gonna be a hard sell you yeah. know it's such a rich combination of yeah. flavors but it's one day but mm. it's like I like to have something that's interesting in the case as yeah. well because it's just that one piece that's just people feel like I don't even know what that is well just like you were saying with the pieces that are kind of stagnant in your shop like those cases, like the, the the case candy pieces, like that's the stuff that makes people stop and really pay attention to what you have. Sure. So it's like even if they're gonna buy a, a basic middle of the road something, you know, white gold, white diamond combo, like something that's very easy to sell. Uh, the reason they stopped and looked at the case is because you have the crazy thing that yes. probably nobody's gonna it buy. It opens the doors. But they appreciate it on like an artistic level. They're like, oh, that's lovely. It's not for me, but it's lovely. But I love that one next to it. I'll take that one. Yeah. Yeah, I had a you know the megalodon teeth. I had ordered something from a Diablo, and they accidentally, well they didn't accidentally somehow somebody messed up and they sent me a lot more than I was supposed to get. Yeah, I was sitting on like thirteen hundred dollars wholesale value extra of what I didn't want, and I had to make a decision whether I wanted to keep it or not. And I decided to keep it uh, just because it was already there. Fuck it, you know. And I dude, it was sitting there for three and a half years. It finally sold for twenty one hundred dollars. Big fucking huge megalodons, but yeah. for the longest time. They were stoppers. People would stop dead in their tracks. Like, oh my god, where are these? And then they would start to expand their search yep. and see these little things next yep. to it. Pick them up all day long. But those megalodon, they fucking sat there forever. Right. You know what I mean? For me, like I, I'm very cautious about what I get. So like my showstopper pieces are still going to be affordable ticket pieces. You know, I try not to really uh, stock jewelry that's going to be over. When you say affordable, what do you? What, what is your version of that? Well, I, I try not to stock anything that's over five hundred dollars. Basically, you know, um, that's usually going to be the very high end. You know, like I've I've nibbled around certain kinds of pieces where I'm like, all right, uh, if we're talking about gold, it's like those pieces that are in the 
120 to 160 dollar pocket are very 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 easy to sell like constantly sure. and then once i hit that like you know 200 ish dollar range to 400 ish dollar range it's got to be somebody that's like they're coming into the shop because they want the jewelry that we carry you know it's I, I don't get a lot of casual customers that just like walk in and they're thinking like you know I, I'm comfortable paying 40 or 50 dollars for a piercing and be like you know those customers where I'm like well you know truthfully we can't offer a 40 or 50 dollar piercing safely with our standards you know those customers are probably not going to gravitate towards the two and three hundred dollar things so I try not to have a lot of that stuff I try to have some of it but you know maybe I'll have half a dozen pieces that are in that two to four hundred dollar pocket you know and then if people go for it they go for it but uh, I feel more comfortable in my shop doing quick turnarounds like I would rather sell hundred and fifty dollar pieces all day than try to sell a five hundred dollar piece once a week and I know right. that might sound no, no, no. And it might sound like lowball you know especially with with you guys that are selling bigger ticket pieces but also I try to just have it be really realistic you know like sometimes when piercers come into my shop and like a $50 piece of jewelry is a high ticket item for them and they're intimidated about like dipping their toes in. I try to tell them like, hey, I'm not I'm not out here selling $1,000 clickers every day. Like this is this is my comfortable pocket and I make a really solid living and give a really solid living to my staff and all that stuff. So in, in my area, I see that as like a totally realistic expectation. I would love to sell $1,000 pieces, but I just don't think it's right for my area. I think, I mean, I think you touch on a couple things here. There's, it's good to have case candy and have some, some bigger ticket items that are showstoppers you know mm. I think that's great but you have to consider that each piece of jewelry in your showcase pays rent sure every month so there's the initial investment to get that jewelry into the showcase mm. and then it's got to sit there every month and yeah. if you have a piece that doesn't turn around for three years yeah it's a wasted investment it's, it's exactly it ties up your capital and there's no turnaround on right it, or turnover on it um, so in fact that jewelry now costs you more mm -hmm. when you could have had a different piece of jewelry at maybe a different price point yeah. that would have that would have moved. Yeah. Uh, so you have to have that balance of like, well, how many case candy showstoppers do mm -hmm. you have versus how much are you actually moving and selling? Uh, and there's got to be a balance there. That's sure. a big point of pressure for a lot of younger piercers right now, especially and and I know because I I was in that pocket where uh, you know when I was still partially internal but partially step down you know and when I when I really when I didn't meet APP minimum standards you know uh, not just like I didn't feel like joining I didn't meet the minimum standards for jewelry for a while uh, once I had access and I had a little bit of wiggle room to, to bring in new jewelry I felt like I had to chase Miro I had to chase Noah and it's like you know I'm not a good piercer unless I'm carrying that stuff and I wasted a lot of money and I really slowed down the growth of my shop because I was trying to like chase these other people's careers uh, and then when I stopped and thought about it where I was just like yeah okay um, but again I don't want jewelry that I can't turn around within a few months because again it's an investment and I, I need that money uh, coming back in and not just going out and then just sitting in the case right. yeah that's how you grow a shop is like you know turn around it's true yeah so is there anything else that's like tickling your fancy on ideas Ask the question. Still yeah, but well, uh, I can stop it or pause it. Uh, what are some I, of the like highest ticket items that you got? Uh, your projects. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like necessarily one single, single item. Piece. You know, it's not like we're just like, oh, we just did a full, you know, three carat diamond in a nostril. Like that, that's not happening. Uh, but full custom gold ear projects. Uh, we've had a few of those that 
There's so line room. items, like things that are cumulative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like one entire ear project. Like we do a, a custom ear project with custom jewelry that we design. We pierce it in to that specific ear. Um, it's just wildly custom, mm-hmm. you know. And, and for that, it's like you can't, you know, it's it's undervalued, I think. You know, the work that goes into it and the, the creativity and all that, you know. You, the customer's getting a great break on it, but you're getting to do this insanely wild project. Right. Uh, so those are some of our biggest, you know, our biggest tickets that we've ever done. But it's and those are probably great advertisements for the shop. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. We do a crazy customer project, and you know, people like you can appreciate it, and, and Woodstock can appreciate it because you see the creativity and all that. Customers like, yeah, that's you know, that's cool. I just want a straight barbell yeah. in my ear, right? An industrial, and it's like, okay, so mm-hmm. you. What, what, what again? Just, just high polished titanium. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's it. You know what drives um, me nuts is like, I'll, I'll do a piercing that I think is very well executed with very nice jewelry. It was very challenging for me, and I'll snap a picture of it. I'll put it in a book or I'll put it online or something like that. And then people message me and they're like, Oh, I, I want what's in this picture. And I'm like, Oh, cool. You want the big fancy thing that I worked on? And they're like, No, 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 no. I like that jewelry that's in their earlobe. And it's like, Yeah, I didn't do that. That's five dollar jewelry that they got at Target. <laughs> Plastic butterfly. Right. Damn. Yeah, I've gotten that so many times. Um, that's fun. So far in in our studio, it's proven to be custom jewelry. Mm-hmm. Only get a chance to like sit somebody in front of BVLA's site look through the different colors, yeah. show them the potentiality. Do of you hold their hand through that in the oh, shop? Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. like, what I've been trying to do is like, I give them the postcard and I'm like, check out their website and here's my card and let me know what you like. We do and a, I almost never hear back. We do formal jewelry consultations. Okay. So okay. they book a formal jewelry consultation. We sit them in. That time is dedicated for them, for us to peruse sites and mm. explain everything. And we still send them off to look at stuff, but yeah. we at least groom them and teach them how to mm-hmm. and then they come back and we so you can actually close it right. right right yeah for me I think I leave it up in the air too much and I think part of that is me I look through it as my lens is like well you know I've even contacted Body Vision about pieces for myself and then I've still drawn the conclusion of like yeah I don't really want to spend that on right. this and it's like I love the piece but it's like yeah I you know I got a mortgage to pay right uh, so I think I kind of look at it as that lens is like I don't want to intimidate a client and then make them make them scared to come back for like the average thing in the future you know so I kind of I leave it up to them in this very soft way where I'm like here's everything you need to know to find the thing that you like once you find something that you like email me then we can talk about options and colors and I can give you suggestions on whatever's but I'm not really closing a lot of those sales because I think I just leave it too like ambiguous yeah 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 I find that holding the hand helps out a lot yeah um yeah so, I mean, one of the, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily a sales technique. It is in a way, but um, people are overwhelmed by options. Oh, yeah. So, while we have 180 options for your nostril, um, when we uh, talk to people about jewelry and do the consultation, we're going to start off with temperature of metal. We're going to find out what looks good on your skin. From there, we're going to talk about what kind of ideas are you going for? Something subtle or something bold, something contrast, something complementary. And we're going to narrow that down. And we'll take their idea and we're going to nail down to about five options. Mm. And we'll start there. Because I want to take those five options away from the 160 options, 180 options, narrow it down to five. Um, And then from there, well, let's take out these two and let me add in a little bit more now that I've talked to you a little bit more and you're telling me about grandma and your job and all the other things that you want to consider in this jewelry. Mm. Um, for me, it's it's getting 
people narrowed down to jewelry that fits them, their character. And their budget. And their budget. Because mm. uh, you, you start off talking. And, and well, at what point do you involve their budget in it? Because me, I try to do it very early on. Like, you can feel it out with those clients where sometimes uh, if they're looking at stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll say in little like hint phrases like, you know, oh, do you need me to work out a total for you before we keep talking? And they're just like, no, no, it's fine. And then it's like, I know like, okay, you're just, you're in it to win it, whatever. But then some people, they'll be like, yeah, and I'll be like, that's cool. Just tell me whatever a comfortable budget is and I can just tell you exactly what'll fit that. It's almost impossible for me to like initially judge somebody on that because sure. I've seen people walking <laughs> in sweatpants and, and well, I don't, I don't try to thousand. judge somebody by their look because right. I, I, a good example is I had a client who would come in wearing just like sweatpants and hoodies all the time, and they would constantly come in, and it was like five hundred dollar sale, six hundred dollar sale, repeatedly every couple of months. They'd come in and get like whole new ear sets of Body Vision, and like they would never come in to have me put in old stuff. It was just constantly new, new, new. And then I had another piercer who was covering, and we were splitting a day. And it was like a really dramatic example for me where I was talking to that customer at the case. And I was like, oh, you know, cool. Like, uh, any questions? And they were like, no, I'm still unsure. And I was like, cool. This person is going to take care of you. We're going to switch off. And then I was like, you know, take care of this person. They're, they're a good customer. And then uh, an hour goes by, and I texted, and I was just like, oh, you know, uh, did, you, did you end up closing anything? Did you, and they were like, no, no, no. They didn't have any money anyway. Did you see how they were dressed? And I was like, oh, my wow. God. Yeah. Like, yeah. you shot yourself in the foot for, for sure. a commission for sure. that day. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that it, the – I don't tackle – I treat everybody like they have all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why I shouldn't. Um, so they come and we talk things. Uh, we talk jewelry. I'll use vernacular that that reflects what we're doing and what we're selling. Um, And by them using the same vernacular, I'll be able to judge if they're on the same level. Can you give an example? Sure. Where, you know, it's like, well, let's talk about precious metals. Let's talk about diamonds. Are you familiar with, you know, the the grading of diamonds? And they're like, oh, no idea. Mm. Okay. (laughs) You're very new to diamonds. Okay, well, this is going to be the diamond scale, you know, and this is where we fall into the scale. And I'll kind of give them that perspective. And all of a sudden, they'll start kind of getting that reality like, oh, well, we're we're talking about real diamonds here. And it's like, okay, yes. You know, and then I'm starting to think as we're getting into this, mm. it's like, well, they could or could not be on board with this. This might be very new to them. Right. And other customers like, no, I'm totally down with platinum and I love FL diamonds. Mm. And it's like, fantastic. You know what the heck an FL diamond is. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. even have to, to, to question your budget. I'm just getting, I'm just picking up on the subtleties. Um, so, so using you know, the jewelry terms, the, the gemstone names. Uh, you kind of pick up where people are at. Um, and if I I get that feeling that people aren't into it, it's like, well, then I'll introduce the pricing a little bit early. They're like, well, let's talk about these three pieces right here. Let's hold them to your face, see what they look like. Let me just get you three different prices on these. And, you know, this one's, you know, $500. And they're like, whoa. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, okay. No. I'm glad I hit that one early. Yeah. Um, I've been completely wrong, though. You know, people have no idea about jewelry and they're, yeah, I want a diamond. I want the biggest diamond. It's like, okay, well, let's talk two sizes smaller because yeah. I think that one's a little more proportioned to your face. And, you know, that one's $150. Point. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Let's go bigger. Mm. You know? And it's like, okay. Yeah. I try to do uh, where, like, I get them excited about jewelry, ops and jewelry options and colors, same thing, uh, gemstones, design, uh, and go with, like, you know, well, these kind of things are going to fall in, like, you know, the 300 to $700 price point, or these things are going to fall in the 700 to $1,500 price point, and you can gauge that instantly. Mm. You know, or like, right. oh, yeah, that's totally fine, and you just, you make moves from that point on. Yeah. You know what I mean? If they don't budge, if they're, or, or rather, if they're, like, uh, 
not upset at the price points, then you carry on. Yeah, and if they are, then you move them to where you feel they're gonna want to be. Financially, a lot of people know where they're at. Yeah, you know when they walk in and they're looking at, you know, I mean jewelry. You know, you're not looking at you know plastic belly rings here. You know, you're looking at gold jewelry. Yeah, Um, people have a good idea um, that it's not going to be the most you know, cheap thing in the world, you know? Well, I, and I think a lot of that has to do with the environment. Sure. Um, there's True. actually a, there's a talk that I uh, created called Selling the Sales Floor, mm-hmm. um, which is all about the environment in which we present our, our business in. Um, and I think that has a huge aspect into the perception that people have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I use the analogy of a car dealership, where when you walk on to Joe's used car lot, you don't see a Ferrari there. Yeah. You know, because Joe's used car lot does not attract that type of clientele. Mm-hmm. But when you walk into that Ferrari dealership, of course they have a waterfall in there. Yeah. And of course those cars are going to be $100,000 or more. Like, you already know because of that environment mm-hmm. um, what's going into. So I think your environment as a, as, a, as a business has a lot to do with what you sell, the price points you have, and with the expectation of the client walking in the door. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. It really does. Yeah. Like, at our shop, we focus in on like everything, down to the music that's played, how it smells when you walk in, mm-hmm. the way that it looks. Uh, I wanted to emulate a higher class of, right. so that people walk in and they're like, okay. I mean, it shows for yeah. sure. <clears throat> uh, this can't be inexpensive here. Yeah. I'm not going to get a $20 person here. Yeah. Although, you know, we get those. I feel like I, I do those same principles and like I've had those same conversations where it's like, well, yeah, obviously you want people to walk into an environment where they're they're. It's not, it's not like they're expecting to pay a lot, but it's like when they hear those higher ticket prices, they're not like a gas by it. You know, they're just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I feel confident in, a, in making a purchase here. But still, like, I think almost more specifically over the last six to 12 months, I've been having more people just like looking at stuff and I'm, I'm using, I feel like similar terminology. I'll be like, okay, well, you know, 18 karat gold, rose gold, like we're saying these things out loud, you know, uh, uh, palladium white and gold and all these different things genuine gemstones and then people are just like uh oh that's that's real gold and it's like well yes it's real gold you know and that's why i'm i'm saying these words and and all that stuff but i'm still kind of running into adversity sometimes lately sometimes people that are just into jewelry or into jewelry and they look at it they love it and that's fine but i think i'm doing a lot more uh uphill work lately than I than I think I have in previous years. There were previous years where it was like so easy. It's just everything was just gold, gold, gold all day. And I don't know if it's like a fatigue in my area where now it's like not necessarily a bubble that's burst, but if it's like more people are coming in and there are other shops that are maybe having like knockoff stuff that looks very similar or something and there's there's some sort of backlash. Well, now. when you, if you think back to like when you first started singing gold and, and genuine gemstones, you had that uphill battle, mm. right? Because nobody knew about it. Right. Every single year, there's going to be a new crop of humans that don't know right. that. You know what I mean? It's that makes pretty much like a constant, it's just something that's part of our gig. We mm. always have to educate people and show people this, this thing. You, there's still that whole, you walk into a, a tattoo shop and you get a piercing for 40 bucks. That's right. just what it is. Yep. You know, I, I see it all over the place. Um, mm. So, I mean, I guess you, you're constantly having to educate people. That battle never really leaves. Yeah, maybe I'm just going to, I'm complacent maybe, you know, uh, or, or whatever it is. Because I remember there were also points where it was like, let's see what we can do. Let's see what we can move. Let's get some, some more showstopper pieces. And I've been playing it a lot safer over the last year or two. It's like, these are... $300 pieces that I know I can sell. I don't want to try to get a $600 piece. Like, you know, 
let's just give up on gold clickers and let's just work on seam styles and let's just kind of seed that market. Not that there's anybody else filling that market in my area, but it's one of those things where I think maybe I'm just trying to be too safe lately. I think, I think you touched on it earlier. There's a lot of oversaturation of crap mm. out there. Because it used to be, yeah, there was only a handful of threadless options or gold, you know, fancy ends. Uh, and then there was clickers and then gold, that was it, you know, and you could only get them from two companies. Mm. Uh, and now it's like, you have all these startup companies that are just, yeah, the second year and they're, they're producing all sorts of gold options. You have the companies that used to sell uh, wooden hanging designs that switched over to metal hanging designs that now switched over to gold-plated crap you know and it's 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 people are trying to stay alive in the business uh or in the industry uh, which you know makes sense but at the same time that has been oversaturated yeah so when you go to conference and you're like well i'm gonna go get a, a nice gold clicker well yeah everyone has them it's so overdone the, the people think it's all the same even mm. piercers think it's the same like, yeah i just got this piece for super cheap because right you know it's you know, a brand no one's ever heard of. And it's like, yeah, it's exactly it. It's a brand no one's ever heard of. I'm and actually really happy that I got duped when I got duped because they, they taught me hard lessons, you know. Uh, without naming names, you know, I, I, I bought some pieces at conference and I was like, why is it so cheap? And they're like, well, it's plated. And I'm like, well, and then like, yeah, but no. But it's like this piercer uses it, this piercer uses it, and it's great. And I was like, all right. I got one and I super regretted it, you know, like the plating wore off on somebody in an initial piercing. I don't know what I was thinking, you know? And then there was another company, you know, not to name names, but like they kind of came and went and they were offering all this stuff and it was solid gold, but it's like, it was one of those things where it's like, again, why is it so cheap? And the reason it was so cheap is because they went under after a couple of months and now if I have those customers come back where they're like, oh yeah, a stone fell out and I'm like, cool, that company doesn't exist anymore, I'm sorry, I, I can't offer you the lifetime guarantee that I do with these other companies. And that taught me that hard lesson of like, you know, I'm going to be really careful where I spend my money. And it's sure. like, I need to believe in you just like my customers need to believe in me. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I've seen, I mean, I, I walk around the conference floor and I look at a bunch of stuff and I see flaws in so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it's because I'm older and had the experience in the eye for it. Um, but then I just see other piercers coming in and just swallowing up all this jewelry and Posting on the Instagram about the bags of jewelry they got, I'm like, I'm, I wouldn't be proud of this, right. to be honest. Um, I don't even buy jewelry at conference anymore. I look right. at what's available. I'll take catalogs if I'm interested, but then I'm going to make a carefully crafted order and I'm going to submit it through email. Right. I don't want to get duped anymore. I just, I don't like it. Uh, I, I really try to focus younger piercers on like making the most out of your investment. And a lot of times it's not just like getting kind of tricked into something because you thought it was sexy for like two seconds like you know step back and realize like are they going to be around do they have a guarantee what's it made of is it going to hold up you know all these different things like take your time and really think about it what i would love is for anybody to just like if, if they're out there thinking like i'm going to make some seam rings and solder some shit on it and, and just start moving it like maybe instead of doing that maybe think about how to learn machining Maybe figure out how to make like titanium jewelry, make backs, make posts, make all that stuff. That's what the industry needs. It doesn't need another 15 companies making like itty bitty seam rings and like gold end pieces that are all exactly the same findings and all that stuff. It's just, I'm getting a little bit sick of that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of repetitive, uh, repetitive options. Mm. And yeah. yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some other, there's some newer startups that I've, I've seen and that I know people that are in tune, people I've helped personally um, with it, which is 
really awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I was working with a, a company where I purchased a couple pieces of their jewelry and I got it in my mail and I looked at it and I sent them pictures and sent it back. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm not happy with this for these gotta reasons. Fix this, gotta fix and this. they looked at it and they said, you're 100% right. We're going to work on this and let's do this. And then uh, next thing you know, we started talking a little bit more, started talking about this and they, hey, we're going to send you a piece. Check it out. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm a consultant now, mm -hmm. uh, which I don't mind. You know, I'll give you my opinion on something. Um, and then they worked on uh, just making it better and better and better to the point where I ordered again and I got my jewelry and I'm, I'm blown away. I was like, this is fantastic. Yeah. Good for you. You've taken this, you've expanded, you've grown, you've learned, you've done better. Uh, and that hasn't been the experience with... Uh, with other manufacturers, mm. uh, and not even just new manufacturers, older manufacturers, uh, where they can't take criticism. You know what I mean? And they don't want to improve. Right. You know, and it, it, it's a hard pill to swallow, but, you know, if you do something that's not up to par, they should know about it. Well, to, to bring it around and kind of like start to, to wind it down, really, like when we were talking earlier in the conversation, it's like you have to constantly think of problem solving and like, working on your fundamentals and if you're having an issue with something like why are you having that issue with it not just ignore right. it and see what band-aid you can slap on it you know as piercers as jewelry manufacturers as shop owners or whatever like you want to strengthen whatever you're doing and part of that is being open to constructive criticism not just from the outside but from inside too like look at your own stuff and be like you know what can I do better and just even this conversation is making me think about like well you know what maybe I should try to switch up my jewelry game maybe it's just like I'm, I'm doing three years ago tactics when I should be doing next year's tactics, you know? Like, I really need to kind of freshen it up, I think. I have the same feeling. I'm going to go back and revamp some things. Yeah. <laughs> I'll trade your well, showcases, Ryan. Yeah, well, I need, I, I need new showcases bad. I, I'm at the point where I, I think I want to just try to find somebody that can just make me something custom from scratch, you know? I, I don't think I want to try to, like, get those, like... Uh, you know, retailstore.com display right. cases or whatever. I've got decent display cases, but I need to like, I need to expand and I want something taller that people can't lean on and I want something that looks more like, you know, jewel, jewelry store showcases. Like, you know, not to say like K Jewelers is a great place, but like they have an awesome looking oh, presentation, absolutely. you know? Yeah. I think the new Zales is better. Yeah. yeah. Well, nice that's colors. the route that, uh, Halo and uh, Baltimore took. Mm, like just custom made. Yeah, he went to he went to China. Had these guys. He he gave him. Uh, a, he went to China. No, no, he didn't go. Sorry, okay. he, he didn't go to China. <laughs> he ordered through China. Okay. Um, and he gave them the specs of his room and kind of called what he wanted. And they basically created this thing for him and nice. sent it back to him. And he's like, "Yeah, that's it. Let's do that." There's got to be somebody in the U.S. that does that. If all these other like traditional jewelry stores do it, like, but we're all just dealing with like, well, what can we just order through a website, like? That's that's over with, you know. You you gotta switch it up. And I I was thinking about maybe some like custom, custom something cool. I have great ideas, but I've never actually tried to move it forward and execute it. All right. Any, my feet. any carpenter has these skills. Yeah, yeah. I remember when going, I was building my shop out, I was gonna have somebody come in and do a custom front desk, and they were like, "Yeah, that'll be nine thousand dollars." And yeah. I was like, "That sounds awesome, but I don't have it in my budget right now." So I built something more simplified. So maybe somebody like that, if they come in and I'd be like, this is exactly what I want, these materials, I need this functionality and drawers and things that can slide in and slide out and locks and all this different stuff. Uh, I think it'd be worth the investment and I, I think I need to pull the trigger on that. Yeah, for sure. Lights, you gotta do LED lights. Yeah. 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 Uh, so thanks for talking to me, but I should probably start driving back to Chicago. Absolutely.
which is uh, a bummer. Uh, but again, for, for the end of this, uh, what are your names? Where are your shops? What's your social media? Woodstock Bader at the Crow's Nest. Uh, you can find me at Crow169 on Instagram. Actually, all social media, Crow169 and uh, Crow169.com uh, for the interwebs. <laughs> I'm uh, Rob Hill at Prism Piercing on the gram and the Facebook and the whatever else there is out there. Uh, Prism Piercing at Des Moines. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, so uh, thanks again, Rob and Woodstock, for uh, chatting with me, and definitely thank you, Woodstock, for inviting me to come out to Iowa. Uh, it was a little bit stressful adding it on to the trip, but it was a really good part of my trip. Uh, even just the drive out from Chicago to Dubuque was really amazing, you know, just being able to see the farmland and all, like, you know, the scenery and all that stuff. It was a really nice drive. It was a long drive, but it was a really nice drive. Uh, great great group of piercers, you know, being able to just sit down and, and chat about ideas and, uh, uh, you know, learning a little bit myself too was, was really good for me. So again, uh, I have some classes. If you want to sign up for a class in Florida or a class in Atlanta, uh, you can go to uh, precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars, or you can message me on Facebook if we're friends or email me at ryanpba gmail.com, but I'd love to uh, see you come out. And I need to start figuring out my classes for next year. I, I think I'm probably going to aim for some uh, warm weather areas during the winter. Maybe try to hit Phoenix and maybe something else. I'm not really sure what else in the winter. If anybody's got a suggestion, go ahead and reach out to me. Uh, and then once it warms up a little bit, then I'm going to start focusing on uh, maybe Minneapolis, Denver, Salt Lake City, Seattle, maybe British Columbia, Canada. You know, I, I think there are a lot of different places that I would like to get to in, in 2020. Uh, I was thinking about Australia. I can try to make that work, but um, I asked somebody to uh, come along with me on the teaching trip and, and they just couldn't fit it into their schedule. So maybe I'll push it off a little bit and try to think of maybe somebody else as a co-instructor to go along with me. So I'm not uh, kind of doing this big whirlwind tour by myself. So I'm going to figure out a bunch of other stuff that I can do to fill my time. And uh, I would love to see you there. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.